Every defense attorney should be so lucky. Brian Koberger has the New York Times developing his mitigation to present to the district attorney. The government's response to allowing Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell to meet? Hell no. I can see the headline now. Man dies while robbing people at gunpoint. Sue's Good Samaritan and restaurant for not providing greater security. It's coming, ladies and gentlemen. And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day. Let's talk about it. Good day, everyone. My name is Scott Reich, and this is Crime Talk. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate you taking the time to watch our show. All right, you know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't, like if you do, leave me a comment and hit that little bell so that you receive notifications when we go live or put up new content. And as always, let's support those that support Crime Talk. Before HelloFresh, the only thing we made at the Crime Talk house was reservations. Now I look forward to HelloFresh arriving. I know that quality is HelloFresh's priority. The ingredients used in HelloFresh meals travel from the farm to your home in less than seven days, so you know everything is fresh. With my busy schedule, I can count on HelloFresh to deliver fresh ingredients and seasonal recipes. With over 35 recipes available to choose from each week, there's something to please everyone. Choose from family-friendly, fit and wholesome, or even veggie. Plus, you can easily customize your meals by swapping protein or sides. HelloFresh has teamed up with Crime Talk for an amazing offer for you. Go to HelloFresh.com and use code CRIMETALK21. That's right, for 21 free meals plus shipping. Go to HelloFresh.com and use CRIMETALK21 for 21 free meals plus free shipping. Go to the link Use the promo code for 21 free meals plus free shipping. All right, let's go ahead and open the record for January 13th, Friday, January 13th, 2023. That's right. Every defense attorney should have such a luxury to have the New York Times help develop your mitigation that you can ultimately present to the district attorney. Now, obviously, the defense is going to have to get the original documents and get releases and things like that, but it certainly helps when you get a head start. So as most people know, Brian Koberger, he's the you know PhD student charged with the stabbing of four University of Idaho students, and uh, apparently years ago had written on some websites about how suicidal he was. He wrote about not being able to feel emotions and observing his own life as if it were a video game, saying he could do whatever I want with little or no remorse. Now, these statements about uh, Brian Koberger come from uh, posts he made on an online forum in which he discussed his mental health struggles, as well as from interviews from those who knew him and the messages he sent to friends that were obtained by the New York Times. How convenient. Well, they paint somewhat of a portrait of an anxious, isolated, depressed teenager who ultimately turns to heroin use before eventually becoming clean of the drug and uh, becomes fascinated with studying criminal psychology, saying that he hoped to one day provide counseling for high-profile criminals. So in the post, Mr. Koberger uh, states that uh, when he was a teenager, he berates himself, uh, talks about feeling disconnected from society, unable to find any meaning in life. Can you imagine a teenager being so confused? Oh my goodness. 
I know adults that don't know what they want to do when they grow up, me included, okay? My gosh, why is everyone so dramatic these days? He described an array of mental health challenges, including anxiety, depression, uh, depersonalization, lack of emotion, and the constant thought of suicide. Like I said, he sounds like a modern-day millennial. Yes, the product of the TMM generation. We had anxiety when I grew up, and we were told to deal with it. We had uh, fears about the future. We were told to get a job. We didn't get to sit at home and um, think about it and become more anxious. We didn't have the metaverse to go escape our reality from having to go do things. We dealt with it, and we moved on. Oh, my gosh, I sound like that old man. Get off my lawn. No, you think that this generation is the first one that's ever had fear, doubts, anxiety? Come on. Now everybody just uses it instead of just getting over it. Anyway, these online posts uh, from his teenage years provide a little insight into what appears to be a dark period of his life. Oh my God, a teenager with a dark period of their life. Can you imagine such a thing? Anyway, Mr. Koberger wrote that he saw a sickly, tired, useless, and stupid man when he looked at himself in the mirror and felt that he did not deserve to live. He also lamented treating his father like dirt, though he considered his father to be a good man. He said, quote, nothing I do is enjoyable, Mr. Koberger wrote. I'm blank, I have no opinion, I have no emotion, I have no nothing, can you relate? Mr. Koberger apparently stated that in his absence of emotion, uh, that it began about the same time his visual snow symptoms began in September of 2009. And apparently this caused some sort of fuzzy vision. He said, quote, I feel like an organic sack of meat with no self-worth. He wrote this back in 2011 when he was 16, adding later in the same post, as I hug my family, I look into their faces, I see nothing. It is like I am looking at a video game, but less. Now, I talked about this the other day. This is of no relevance to the actual charge itself. However, since this is a potential death penalty case, the defense is going to use all this type of stuff to say, hey, look, don't kill my guy if that's what you want to do. Um, he's obviously got mental health issues dating back to whenever, 2001, when he was a teenager. Can't blame him. He's a product of his environment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so the defense is going to use this for mitigation. Remember, mitigation is not a defense. Having a terrible childhood, having anxiety, mental health issues, usually not a defense, it's mitigation. It's something that the DA can consider to potentially reduce the possible penalty in some way. We will obviously give Mr. Koberger the presumption of innocence. However, I cannot imagine that the district attorney, since they believe they have their guy, the correct guy who committed these crimes, that they would accept anything other than life without parole. I don't see any uh, lesser charges being brought. This is an all or nothing situation where a jury will ultimately have to decide whether he did it and whether he would, uh, or whether he did not do it and whether he should be found uh, innocent. Now, just for these uh, statements were uh, put up on Tapatalk. Apparently the site was previously known as Yuku, Y-U-K-U, where he commiserated with others suffering from this little understood neurological condition called visual snow, in which a person's vision is obscured by scattered dots, uh, much like a static screen on an analog TV. That's how it's described. Um, now, Mr. Koberger did not use his name on the website, but the post referenced his birthday. In addition, the username on the account, E-X-A-R-R, matches an email address for Brian Koberger that appeared in a 2009 leak of accounts from an online payment company. 
and that account listed his location as Effort, Pennsylvania, the place where Mr. Koberger grew up. Friends of Mr. Koberger at the time also state that they believe that uh, this is consistent with the struggles that he described to them at the time as well. Now, there's a new body cam video that was released where Kaylee Gonzalez was receiving a warning for a loud music complaint. The police officer was very polite. Uh, Miss Gonzalez was also very polite and understanding and uh, basically was looks like she was going to uh, take the ticket if she was going to get one, but she got off with a warning. Now, what relevance is this to the actual case at all? This particular incident, probably little to nothing at all, but it does show that this place was a party house. What is the significance of the party house? That's right, other people's DNA being in there. I'm sure the defense will come up with an expert to say, hey, Mr. Koberger could have been there. DNA transferred. He didn't put the, his fingerprint on that uh, sheath on the K-bar. No, uh, it obviously must have brushed up against something and it was transferred. That's the significance of the party house. We will see uh, if that will undermine the district attorney's DNA evidence or not. Let me know in the comments what you think. Now, a lot of people were all in a tizzy the other day. I didn't think much of it, but it was regarding the defendant's request for discovery. And what concerned people was that there was a request for any information based upon a co-defendant. So the public defender and any good attorney is going to file a general uh, request for discovery. And in this particular request, in request number two, it says statements of co-defendant. Hmm, is there a co-defendant? And it requests any written or recorded statements by a co-defendant and the substance of any relevant oral statement made by a co-defendant, whether before or after arrest, in response to interrogation by any person known by the co-defendant to be a peace officer agent of the prosecuting attorney or which are otherwise relevant to the offenses charged. I assure you, this motion and all of the requests contained therein is simply a boilerplate, a perfunctory motion that's filed in every criminal case, particularly a felony criminal case in Idaho. We file very similar motions here. Now you may say, well, why do you have to file that motion? Rule 16, which governs discovery, it's self-executing, which means the prosecution and the defense have a duty to turn over everything that they need and require to do. For the defense, it's very limited. The prosecution, you got to turn everything over. And then say, well, if they have to turn everything over and they're required to do it and they're self-executing, why would you be doing this? It's to say, look, we formally requested it through the court. The court will eventually hear this motion and say, well, it's self-executing. I'm sure if there's uh, the prosecution is aware of their discovery obligations and they're complying with them in any way possible. Therefore, the judge will say, uh, granted in part, it's self-executing, uh, be along your way. And then if something shows up late or the prosecution says, hey, we turned it over, uh, at a later date, the defense can say, uh, we asked for this a long time ago. In fact, we officially formally asked for it a long time ago. And you may say, well, why do you need that? We can always trust the prosecutor in every case. And I don't know anything about these prosecutors. They seem like good guys and gals, ladies. But uh, the reality of it is you just don't know. So you have to ask for it. You have to ask for it because they previously don't turn stuff over. I know, you say, how does that happen, Scott? It happens all the time. Oh, did we not turn that over? <laughs> I'm so sorry. That witness that said that your client wasn't even there, oh, did we not turn that over? It happens quite a bit. Next, Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell. Remember we talked last week that the attorneys for Lori Vallow were requesting a conference with 
Chad DeBell and his attorneys in person so that they could discuss, which stated sounds like maybe there's an offer on the case, or at least be able to get together to talk about a defense strategy. And apparently Lori and Chad haven't had much time to talk since, you know, they've been arrested and all that stuff. And she's gone off to the state mental hospital and, well, you know, they need a little time to, to talk. Now, I get what the defense is trying to do. Clearly, there's something going on. They need to talk before they decide how they're going to proceed. It could be an offer. It could be a plea of guilty. You just never know. But how did the state respond? Well, the short answer is hell no. Is it worth listing the rest of the reasons? Absolutely. So the state sponsor says the state has serious reservations about allowing the co-defendants to have face-to-face -face or other communication directly with each other. While the state recognizes that the defendants may communicate through their counsel and also may strategize together through their attorneys, which the state would not be a party to or have input on, there is no inherent right to or privilege for the defendants to have direct communication. The state recognizes the defendants have agreed to not use any evidence or information they may obtain through any discussions or meeting against each other. Nevertheless, the state is not willing to make a similar agreement. Any communication between each individual defendant and his or her attorney are confidential. However, having the other defendant and or his or her counsel present would make them potential witnesses of statements made by the other defendant and eliminate any claim to attorney-client privilege. In addition, the defendant is arguing that there is privilege pursuant to the Idaho Rules of Evidence 408, 410, and 507. This is simply not the case. Idaho Rules of Evidence 408 deals with statements made during settlement or mediation negotiations, but without the state present, there can be no true settlement or mediation. Regarding Idaho Rules of Evidence 410, since there is no plea being entered and no attorney for the prosecution proposed to be present for the discussion, this rule is not applicable. Idaho Rule 507 is applicable to mediations, but the rule doesn't necessarily protect statements made by co-defendants, especially to each other. In addition, the defendant is requesting to have a settlement conference separate from any mediation. One further concern for the state is how a meeting would be facilitated, which would protect the confidential privilege the defendant is claiming and also meet the safety concerns of the parties, especially given the nature of the charges pending against them. Wherefore, the state respectfully requests that the court consider the concerns raised by the state. That was filed January 12th, which was yesterday. So here in this particular situation, the defense parties want to get together and talk. I would take issue with some of the prosecution's uh, concerns. Listen, if this is going to get the case resolved or they need to meet, this could be a defining moment in the case. Either A, they're going to jump on board altogether, or maybe one's going to sacrifice themselves for the other. You just never know. I get their concerns. The prosecution wants to control the situation. The defense probably wants to have some resolution one way or the other. Uh, you eliminate this by you putting them together. They understand that uh, anything they say can be basically used against them. But you eliminate the wor the need for having the attorneys being witnesses against each other by having an investigator from each side present taking copious notes as to what was said. Problem eliminated. Remember, prosecutors interview victims all the time. Prosecutors don't become witnesses in that particular situation. Why, you may ask? because they have an investigator take notes. Otherwise, every time a victim spoke to the prosecutor, they would be made a witness. So I think the prosecution is uh, objecting to object in this particular situation. If they need to meet, I get they don't have a right to, but if this is gonna provide some 
solution or resolution to this case, then um, let it happen. Let it happen versus just saying, hell no. All right, a quick update on the Texas shooter case down in Houston. Well, the mother of the armed robbery suspect who was shot and killed by an armed customer in Houston last week uh, said that she spoke to her sons just hours before the incident and he promised that he would do better. That's right. Thursday morning was the last time that uh, he uh, called his mother and he said, Mom, I'm trying to be the best person I can be. That's what the mom said. Now, Mr. Uh, Washington uh, recently apparently got a job and was the father of a four-month-old son. Now, uh, while Washington's mother was aware of his financial struggles, she said she never thought that her son would go and rob a store. We showed you a video of the incident and it shows the suspect, Mr. Washington, wearing a black ski mask and entering the restaurant before pointing his pistol at patrons and demanding their money. Yes, that's called an aggravated robbery. And where I come from, each and every one of those victims, it would get 10 to 32 years consecutive because they were separate victims. Anyway, as the suspect gathered the money from patrons, an armed customer can be seen getting up from the booth where he was sitting and um, shot his pistol at Mr. Washington at least nine times. Needless to say, Mr. Washington ultimately fell to the ground and passed away. Now, after Washington fell to the ground, the armed suspect fired more shots at him, even striking Washington's head. Now, the mom says, I don't hate this man, I can't hate him, but I don't know why he didn't stop. Mother said, if you had to kill him, I can deal with that. I can come to grips with that. He did something wrong. I understand that, but for him to be shot four times in the back, leaving, and when he falls down, he shoots him four more times, you abused him. He was already dead, and that hurts. The robber's mother said that she doesn't condone what her son did, saying he knew better. And she also said uh, that uh, Mr. Washington never led her to think that he would ever go this route, even though he had been convicted of aggravated robbery in 2015, where he received a 15-year sentence for being involved in the shooting death of a store owner. Out of the 15 years that he was sentenced to serve, he served seven. Now, after the shooting, it was determined that the gun carried by Mr. Washington was a fake plastic pistol, and uh, the defense attorney for the individual who has not been identified because the investigation is ongoing says that uh, it doesn't change anything as long as the individual this armed Samaritan believes that the firearm was real or could have been real that's what important that is what is important not the actual nature of it the attorney said so like I said you can see from the statement here um, it's my you know I don't know if the mother of Mr. Washington has an attorney, but the whole you abused him stuff, um, I would expect a lawsuit uh, because I've seen it. Um, somebody's going to file a lawsuit saying, obviously, that the Good Samaritan was the bad guy, and they're going to sue the uh, little taco place there, uh, saying that they should have provided better security, uh, and this never would have happened. Basically, if you had not uh, exercised your constitutional rights in Texas, uh, this never would have happened. Mark my words, ladies and gentlemen, January 13th, 2023, I said the family's going to sue. Hold me to my word. I think it's happening. Next, our dumb criminal of the day. A man was caught in the act when the deputy said he accidentally shot himself in the leg during an attempted robbery, which alerted the homeowner. So on the morning of January 4th, a woman living in the Florida Panhandle called deputies to report a man outside of her house saying that he had been shot. Deputy said that when they arrived, they found 
uh, Mr. Justin McCall suffering from a gunshot wound to the leg. He was rushed to a nearby hospital for treatment. And guess what? There was some surveillance footage from the neighbor's uh, little uh, ring camera that caught Mr. McCall in the area. And deputies say that we can see Mr. McCall uh, committing a series of uh, car and residential burglaries. And the sheriff's office said that uh, the gun Mr. McCall shot himself with was stolen from another vehicle that he had broken into at the time of the burglaries. And guess what? Mr. McCall was out on bond for two separate burglaries. He was also on felony probation at the time that he had these pending charges and the time that he was out on parole, on probation. Overall, he has guessed how many? 13 felony convictions since 2012. Six for burglary, four for grand theft, and one for grand theft of a firearm. Past performance is indicative of future results, ladies and gentlemen. How many times have we said it? And this time being a dumb criminal, clearly a high repetitious learner, just doesn't get it, and not familiar with firearms, shot himself, which ultimately led to the fact that uh, the firearm was stolen. Uh, listen, if you're gonna be a criminal, familiarize yourself with firearms. I had a client once that uh, shot himself while playing with a firearm. And um, unfortunately the police were called because you know shot him in the leg, which, led to the fact that the firearm was then traced to a homicide where the client was then charged. Just saying, ladies and gentlemen, you can't make this stuff up. Congratulations, Mr. McCall. You are our dumb criminal of the day. Congratulations, you made it. All right, hope you have a wonderful weekend. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time on Crime Talk.